Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Take Flight Podcast, episode number 134, with your four hosts, Daniel Johnson, Oluwakanola, Pavilo Timbo, and I, Shuel Ahmed. Now, from the title, you'll see it is one of our Take Flight Talks episodes, where we interview thought leaders and trailblazers sharing with us their journey and expertise on how they've been able to take flight in their respective arena. Now, in case you've missed any of our previous Take Flight Talks interview episodes, by this point, you really have no excuse. You've missed out on interviews with leaders from various industries, from healthcare to nonprofits, from entrepreneurs in the real estate space to pioneers in the music industry and leaders in angel investing. So please, please, please make sure to check them out if you have not already done so. But back to today's episode. Now, we've categorized episodes in the past as special and very special, but this one goes beyond that. Would even go as far as to say this is a historic episode, ladies and gentlemen. Now, we use the word historic as we have our first ever female leader on the show with us today. And with it being the first, we wanted to make sure we start with the very best of the best. So it's our honor to welcome Miss Yvonne Bejela. Now, Yvonne is a young woman excelling in multiple areas of life. Now, in recent times, she's been known as an early stage investor, as well as a founding member of Impact X Capital, a UK-based venture capital fund which invests in companies led by underrepresented entrepreneurs. Now, prior to this, Yvonne's track record speaks for itself. During the last 10 years, she has invested over £200 million in various startups across Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, including Flutterwave and Marshmallow, and most notably investing in a company called Wise, formerly known as TransferWise, which was the first technology company to go public on the London Stock Exchange via a direct listing in 2021 for a $7 billion valuation. Now, on top of everything I've already mentioned, Yvonne is also a board member and a passionate leader recognized as an advocate for increasing diversity in entrepreneurship and leadership. Through her work, she has been recognized by some of the world's leading business publications such as Forbes, Management Today, and the Financial Times, as well as being placed on coveted lists such as Forbes Under 30, Top 8 Female Venture Capital Investors to Watch, Top 25 Leading Black British Business People to Follow, top 50 of Europe's most influential women in the startup and venture capital space, and top 10 tech entrepreneurship voices to follow in Instagram. Now, in any case, if we stop there, we are already way ahead of the curve based on anyone's metrics. But also to mention last and most definitely not least, Yvonne is a wife and last summer became a mother for the first time to a beautiful baby boy, who I'm sure will be very proud of everything his mother is doing, especially when he listens back to this episode in the future. So today, we'll be deep diving Yvonne's journey from her younger years to becoming a founder and an early stage investor today, as well as learning about everything from her mission to the VC process and tips and recommendations for all you flyers out there looking to take flight. Now, let's get started with this historic episode and hit the music. Take off, take flight with you. Yeah, we never fly, but we're flying. What an intro. Right, Yvonne, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Take Flight podcast. As you can probably tell from the introduction and from the round of applause, we are all very excited to have you on. Now, the audience would have heard an intro at the beginning of the episode, but how would you, Yvonne, describe your journey in your own words? Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here with you guys. 
such a big fan of your podcast. Um, so yeah, just starting off with my journey, I actually went to uni with some of you guys, which was a great experience, studied economics and finance. Um, but even before that, right back to the very beginning from when I was much younger, um, my dad actually at the age of eight, I would just sit at home on weekends and I'd read The Economist and Financial Times when I really wanted to be out playing with other children. Um, and I feel as if that really did instill in me the world of finance, financial markets. And it almost made me believe that I could change the world from a financial perspective very early on. I was always good with numbers. So when I was younger, me and my dad used to play like number games. We played the abacus and he made it seem really fun. So whereas most children were like, oh, I hate maths. I used to be like, I love maths. (laughs) So yeah, I was a bit of a weirdo when I was younger, but um, I guess it's got me to where I am today. So when I went to university, I knew that I wanted to study economics because it's pretty much all I'd known um, as I was was really good with numbers. Um, And yeah, studied economics and finance. And I guess at the time, a lot of people were on my course were speaking about banking so I thought great that's definitely what I'm going to do hadn't really considered any other paths to be honest um and managed to secure a role at Goldman Sachs obviously my parents were super proud of me but then you know starting off at Goldman Sachs I have to say it's like an amazing place to start your career because in terms of the foundation they give you the training but I knew from very early on that it's not what I wanted to do so my parents weren't very happy when I told them that I wanted to leave. I, I remember that day so clearly. They were like, why? Yvonne, why? What's it? <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you've got this job. You can stay there. You can make it to director. But I was like, no. And I guess that stemmed from quite early on, really, because um, I guess one thing about Brunel, which is where I studied, is I feel like everyone is just like really hustlers. Like everyone that I know that's been there, like you just you just have this hustle culture. Um, And I knew within myself that, okay, I I can work at Goldman's, but what's the worst that can happen? Let me try out new things. I can always fall back on Goldman's. And so I would say that I've always been a bit of a risk taker. Um, And it's me being a risk taker that's led to me getting where I am today because I've had multiple career paths. Started out in banking, went into strategy consulting, went into strategy consulting for insurance companies initially, then went into doing it for, you know, big corporates such as the Beers Group. And it wasn't until the summer of 2013 when I went to Ghana where I really learned about the world of VC. And that's where I came back to London. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Yvonne, that was, uh, I mean, there's so many threads there for us to to pull from being nurtured, the, the interest and talents from from a young age to then jumping into one of the, the biggest brands in the globe was for the early years and then having the courage to actually decide, actually, do you know what, this isn't what I want to do, but I want to try something else. So I think there's so many threads that we're probably going to pull in the in the conversation. I mean, we have a lot of questions on behalf of our of our listeners and on the on the on the podcast, but maybe Daniel, you can kick us off with the with the first question. Yeah, sure. Um You've already mentioned about VC and investment banking as you introduced what you your career. And just thinking, how has the transition been moving? And also what have the challenges been? And also what have you been surprised by positively? Yeah, so I guess like when I worked in investment banking, it was kind of like my first real office job. Before that, I'd worked in retail. So I had jobs at H&M, had jobs at St. I remember my first job was like Sainsbury's. I was like an online shopper. I used to pick people's online shopping. Um, and so working at Goldman's, I have to say it's like probably the best training ground in terms of the level of training they give for, for new um, grads and so on. So that I definitely took away from there. Um, but I guess for me, like I always felt like I didn't belong. I mean, 
I was one of very few females, one of very few black females in particular. I didn't really buy into the whole, let's go out for drinks on Friday because I don't drink really. I mean, I, I do drink socially, but it's not really what I want to do on a Friday night. Um, and so I found it really challenging, to be honest. Um, I had a great mentor at the time um, and she would encourage me and say, Yvonne, like you really have to integrate with the team, go out to the Friday drinks. And I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Um, so I found that quite challenging, actually. Um, and one thing about me as well is in banking, like you're kind of taught back then, especially you're kind of taught to like be really aggressive and really forthcoming loud. And that's not me at all. Like, I pride myself on being like empathetic. And during my time there, I used to think to myself, is there something wrong with me? Like I should be more assertive. I should be more this. I should be more that. Um, and it wasn't until like I left there and I found what worked for me. So the world of venture capital, for example, empathy is really a superpower. I work with entrepreneurs all the time, like building a business is incredibly hard. So when my entrepreneurs come to me at the end of the day and they're like, I just want someone to talk to you. I want someone that I can vent to that empathy is actually so important. And so I guess for me, it's like I was I tried my stint in banking, um, didn't really enjoy it, but I've, I've found what works for me. And it's only because I was willing to take that risk that I realized, actually, this is what I love doing. Had I have just stayed in banking, maybe I wouldn't have, you know, thrived at it because, you know, I truly love what I do now. Um, following on for that, Yvonne. You mentioned how investment banking is a very male-dominated sort of space. Moving over to VC, that's also really a male-dominant space as well. If I think about some data, right, female founders make about 2% of the capital that's invested. Can you walk through sort of your mission, how you're sort of trying to tackle that and some of the experiences? Because I'm sure you've got a ton of experiences with sort of... <laughs> in that male-dominated space oh yeah I've got stories for days but um... <laughs> <laughs> don't mention any names but <laughs> <laughs> no, we, you don't need to mention the names Yvonne but we've definitely got time for the stories so you, you feel <laughs> <laughs> no so definitely I think um for me um when I fell into this space I realized very early on um when I was working at Mitsui that like you said, there's a huge disparity in funding that goes to women, but also by race as well. So even if you look at black founders, they get less than 1% of capital on a global basis. But if you think about the global venture capital world, these the, the industry has funded some of the most successful companies. So think of Amazons of the world, think of Google's, you know, Facebook. These are all companies that in the early days were funded by venture capitalists. And so venture capital industry has so much power to play in building the companies of the future. And the way I really like to think of it is if we truly want the world to be representative of, you know, the entire society of, of where we live, we need to have, you know, women getting funded, black entrepreneurs getting funded. And that's where I come in. So if you look at the data, there's so much data that suggests that, you know, women are two times more likely to invest in women entrepreneurs, same way that, you know, um, me as a black investor, I'm more likely to gravitate more towards black founders because people resonate more with people who are mm -hmm. from similar backgrounds, which is why we have this, um, you know, bias within the industry. Um, and so whereas in banking, for example, where I felt very lonely, actually, it's my superpower in this industry that I'm in because I'm able to tap into my networks and, you know, meet with incredible entrepreneurs who are able to deliver incredible results. And there's been so many examples of companies that I have invested in where, um, you know, 
maybe some VCs have maybe overlooked them and then they go on to do really well. And it's like, damn, we missed out on that. And I'm like, yeah, you did. (laughs) And so, yeah, I definitely see it as a superpower. And, you know, I really love the industry that I'm working in. Um, I feel as if there's this huge disparity, but at the same time, I see it as a huge opportunity. So many people talk about, you know, this, this gap in funding, but it's a huge opportunity. And for those that are going to tap into it, there's so much potential there. It's a great segue to the next question, Yvonne. Um, today you're sitting with your team, you know, help us understand what you look for in, in startups when making that investment, right? Or is it the founders themselves? So, you know, how do you make that assessment? What the due diligence process? And do you have maybe a set of principles that you apply when looking to make an investment? Yeah, I'm yes, gonna get my yeah. notepad so I can take some notes and do investment tips. Oh, just Ollie, watch it back. Yeah, Ollie, you're just you. Ollie's Ollie's just long in oil and gas anyway, so we can see the simple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy right now. I'm happy right I know now. No, you are. You're up now. For now. For now. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. He's happy so now. Wait, to put, wait till you put on your turtleneck. Yeah, you've you've won, you've won sent you a warning. You sent your warning slightly, so you got me between the lines. <laughs> No, but definitely. So um, I invest at the very early stages. I have done um, a bit of later stage investment as well. But where companies come to me where they just have an idea, for example, it's really about the team, because at the end of the day, you can think something is a great idea, but it's only the market that's actually going to dictate that. So um, the team at the early stage is so, so important because Like I said, building a company is incredibly hard. There's going to be hurdles along the way. There's going to be bumps and roadblocks. And it's so important that one thing I always look for is almost like an obsessive passion to solve a problem. Um, Just to give you an example, I had a company that I met with, an entrepreneur that I met with operating in the supply chain space. Now, supply chain is not really boring. Like, it's not very interesting, right? But this entrepreneur, the way he was so passionate about solving, you know, issues within supply chain, it spilled over that after the meeting, I went away and wanted to spend like hours just digging into supply chain, wanting to understand the industry more because he was so passionate about the problem. And so when I'm looking at, you know, companies, I'm really looking at the founders, what they bring to the table, what they, whether they have an X factor. So have they worked in the industry before that gives them that deep domain knowledge do they have like a first-hand experience of the pain that they're trying to solve? Um, are they like really passionate and obsessive about solving the problem? Uh, are they able to bring on board a great team as well? Because, you know, it's not a one-man band. You're going to have to build it out with a team, you know? Um, so these are all key things that I look for. But beyond that as well is, is the market large enough? Because as venture capitalists, we are looking for those billion dollar outcomes and the market has to be big enough. But sometimes, a lot of the times, actually, venture capitalists get it wrong. I mean, when Uber started out, no one knew that it was a billion dollar market, right? A multi-billion dollar market. And oftentimes, for those really successful outcomes, they do get underestimated. But it's really just trying to have a, a view on, is this market big enough? Is this the right founder? Is the timing right as well? And timing is really important because if you look at the Facebooks of the world, or if you look at Google, there were so many you know, search engines before Google. Google delivered a much better pro- product and the timing was right. And so um, that's also another key factor. So, th- so there may be... Um... Yvonne, to build a bit on uh, Olu's question that he had earlier in terms of the, the the VC space and 
um, people of color, etc., not getting access to funding, or even people of a certain gender. So, so nowadays there are there is more people of color and females, etc., having this conversation, talking about investing. I mean, you're setting a great example in the industry that you're in, the way that you've been recognized. But is there anything more that we can do? And what advice would you give to startups who are looking to get more capital? Uh, to them as an underrepresented founder? Yeah, um, I would say just obsess on the product and your customers because at the end of the day, if you build something that people really love, then the money will follow. Um, I feel as if there's quite a misconception in the media where you see companies have raised 20 million or 100 million Mm. and they have no product, right? Mm. But actually those are so far and few between. Um, Actually, a lot of companies that, you know, do go on to raise, um, they have they have maybe like an MVP or they've gone out and validated the product or service that they want to offer. And so I would say just go out, do the work, really just um, prove that this is something that customers need, love and want. And then the money will 100% follow. Deliver value, essentially. Perfect. And for the listeners out there with a minimum viable product, if you're looking for investors, you know where to find Yvonne as well. So. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> before i go to because i've got quite a couple of questions but i think that's looking at it from a startup point of view if someone wanted to get into vc right we've got some listeners who have going just graduated or just started their career and they might potentially want to go down the vc route how do you do that right that yeah i do have to say like getting into vc is like super competitive it's crazy um and one of the reasons is because a lot of vc firms they don't have more than 10 people that work work, work within their teams and so you're competing for one of so few roles right um also you know things have changed a lot since i joined the industry back in 2015 where a lot of the roles weren't advertised it was literally through network a lot more vcs have opened up now um for those wanting to break into the industry, I would suggest like acting like a VC before you become a VC. So by that, I mean, you know, start investing if you want to maybe train like um, as an angel investor. So there's Angel Investing School, for example, run by Andy AM. So you can get to know like how to actually invest, maybe even invest yourself. You can invest. Um, you don't have to have large sums of money to invest in a company. That's a huge misconception. I mean, I've done investments as low as £1,000. Um, so that's one key area. Develop a thesis. So one of the things that you will be asked in interviews when you go to you know, interview for VC roles is, What's your thesis? What do you believe in? What sectors do you think are really hot at the moment? What excites you? And so you need to start formulating your view on the world. So for anyone that wants to break into VC, it's really important that you're intellectually curious as well. So you need to keep up to date with what are the key trends that are emerging. Things are constantly changing. Um, and just connect with VCs as well. Like you'll be surprised, like message people on LinkedIn, just say, hey, I'd love to learn a bit more about what you're doing. Um, there's so many, like my friend June, for example, she runs a VC, um, emerging VC uh, community on WhatsApp where individuals that want to break into VC are in that group. They share links. Um, she shares roles with them. There's VC fellowships as well um, that you could potentially join, like Include VC. There's Newton Venture Program as well, run by Local Globe. There are so many different um things that individuals can do as well as books to read such as venture deals and so on um I feel like it's a lot easier today than it was back when I started out back in 2015 there's so many resources online so you can mention what steps someone could do to break into the VC um, arena but what skills would you say they need to sharpen or need to possess 
to be successful? Um, 100% intellectual curiosity. So I find myself sometimes at 3am just like digging deep into like a 50 page paper on like Web3. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have to, yeah, that's 100% one of the key skills required. You have to be really um, a people, like, okay, so I'm not necessarily a people person, I'm actually quite introverted, but it's a really network driven industry where on a weekly basis, like today, for example, I've had five meetings you're constantly meeting with people, whether it's investors, whether it's entrepreneurs, whether it's, you know, potential hires for your, your companies that you've invested in, you're constantly speaking to people and building relationships. And so if that's not something you're comfortable with, get comfortable with it. I've managed to do it. You can do it if you really want to work within the industry. Mm -hmm. Another thing I wouldn't say it's like an absolute requirement because it's something that you can learn, but get comfortable with, you know, numbers, get comfortable with financial statements and so on. Um, I mean, I have individuals that I work in the industry with that have come from being doctors and marketers. Like there's no one path to breaking in the industry, but I would say that they're some of the key traits that you should should have. Just, just on that point, uh, Yvonne, um, you mentioned the word superpowers. You spoke a little bit about skills needed to sort of thrive in that space um you've kind of almost been training right since the age of eight into sort of being prepared for this kind of arena what would you say would be your superpowers that you need for the next 10 to 15 years in this vc space yeah so um again i think like the industry is so network driven right and so even when i invest in a company already we're thinking okay when are you going to raise your next round and mm -hmm. which investors am i going to be able to connect you with so building those relationships is so so important across the board um remaining intellectually curious as well i think is super super important i think that when you break into the industry you can kind of you can kind of get a bit relaxed, like, okay, you've broken into the industry, but you still need to like have that hunger to learn more all the time because trends change. Like a couple of years ago, AI was the hot thing. Now it's like Web3 and there's like all these Web3 startups and you kind of have to always stay on top of it. Um, and so for me, it's like finding and crafting out the time in order to do that, as well as like having meetings with my existing portfolio companies managing my family my son and so on like it can be a real challenge but it's something that's so so important um and also empathy like I said it's so so important within this space because at the end of the day when I invest in the company that relationship is going to be for like 10 years so you want to get along with the investors that you're investing are investing in your company so again that's something else that's super super important um and also access right because at the end of the day it's all about what deals you can get into that's what makes you a great investor um so again it's it's I guess that ties in with relationship as well right because yeah. the deals that you come across to some extent are stemming from the relationships that you have as well 100% we've got um a couple of fathers on the podcast right you're a newly mother how are you finding balancing all those hats because I'm always intrigued when it comes to <laughs> people that are doing so many things I could not imagine how you balance all those hats. So what are some tips for the listeners? What areas are you been struggling with maybe? But yeah. Okay, this is something that might sound quite controversial, but um, I don't actually believe there's a, such a thing as balance, right? I feel as if you almost have to, at some point in time, like there may be a period of time where I have to pour all of myself into, you know, working on the deal. And then there's a period of time where I really want to focus on my son and make sure I give him the time and and fully dedicate myself to that. So it's really about really about like shifting around my schedule and finding moments to do and care for and be with the people that I love and, you know, 
whilst also being able to do the things that I love, which is work within the space, work with entrepreneurs. So it's a constant rebalancing act, but I wouldn't say there's this constant level of balance because sometimes I have to pour more into different areas of life, if that makes sense. I love that. Yeah, 100%. P would agree with that. I love that. Yeah, I mean, if you look back at our career so far, <laughs> we never ever achieved balance. It was, you know, it's sort of extremes, right? You're, you're, if you're you know, working hard at work, endless nights, and then there's periods where it's just 100% family. So it's it's the word that I've come to sort of resonate with. It's more harmony. But trying to search for balance is is, is impossible. Um, and when you realise that, things get a lot easier because now it's, a, it's sort of an understanding acceptance. I just try to find harmony. Um, but if you have an understanding spouse that understands these sort of peaks and troughs in your journey forward, it makes a big difference. And I'm sure um, everyone can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I... You know, when people say they have a tribe, like, I would not be able to do what I do without my tribe. Mm -hmm. I'm sure all of you that do have children can attest to the fact that, you know, raising children is not an easy job at all. (laughs) And it really does take a tribe. So I'm very fortunate that I have an incredible support system. So my mom, my sister, my husband, like my husband, when I'm out during the week, like I said, it's a really network driven industry that I'm in. So when I'm out during the week, he's the one that's like putting my son to bed and so on. It's really about us making it work for the two of us. Um, And so I'm super grateful that I have that support. And so, yeah, um, I would say is like your partner in life is so, so, so important. For some of our technical listeners, right, right now we're in a bear market. We're seeing a lot of corrections in the public market, the private market when it comes to valuation. What's your impression? What's your views? What do you expect to see in the future for the people that are not invested in oil and gas? For the other folks, I think just to. Just, just to add some context to Ollie's question for the listeners who may not be watching this, Ollie was asking that question with the biggest smile right now because his portfolio is just all green because he's just all oil and gas long. But Yvonne, for, sorry, now, for now, for now, for now. <laughs> up, up until t- Ollie, Ollie he doesn't know what to next. That's the thing. Uh, I've sold. I've sold yeah, something. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. What's your views on it? Yeah, Yeah, so this is something like we're constantly discussing with the companies that we work with because public markets always do end up having an impact on um, private markets. And so it's really, really affecting private markets at the moment, although it is a lagged effect. Um, I personally, as an economist, think we're heading for a recession. I think all the signs are pointing to that. I mean, one in seven people are skipping meals in the UK. Then you have like 25% less fuel purchases here in the UK as well. Um, you know, the inflation environment is really, really hitting people's purses. And so I think we're heading for a recession, but at the same time, right? And, you know, yes, it's going to be really hard on people. And I fully empathize with that fact. But also we have to look at the opportunity that comes from it, like public and public, you invest in like property, right? And, you know, it could could be some great um, opportunities that emerge from that same way in the, the world that I'm in. If you look back at 2008, where we had the huge financial crisis, right, the market completely crashed. Some of the greatest companies were actually birthed during that period. So if you look at Uber, if you look at Instagram, these are companies that all emerged within that period. And actually, like people can say, like over the last few years, valuations have just 
you know, really, really creeped up so high. So I almost feel as if it's like refreshing the market. And so valuations are going to um, calm down a bit. Um, you know, things are going to stabilize. And personally, I think that the most incredible entrepreneurs are going to continue to build. Um, and we could, we're going to have some really exciting companies emerge from this period as well. And so I always like to say that, yes, we're heading for a really challenging period, but people should also look for the opportunity within the storm as well. So maybe I can jump in with a, with a question, Yvonne. So I think listening to your to your background and your story, there's been examples where you have, in in, in a certain extent, taken flight, right? You've jumped from a, a situation that maybe on, on paper would have been great and you could have stayed in that career or path for a long time, but you've decided to take that jump and take flight. Um, my question to you is that there could be some of our listeners out there who also maybe in a comfortable job, maybe in a comfortable relationship, maybe in an area where they're afraid to take that jump or they're afraid to see what's around the corner. Now, in your case, during those moments where you have taken that jump, what are the factors that you thought about? And what was the environmental factors that maybe helped that or made it challenging for you? Yeah, so I'm actually going to share an example with you. So um, when I joined Mitsui, Japanese investment company, my first stint into the world of VC, I had no experience in direct investing companies. I was tasked to come in and lead a team. Meanwhile, I don't know anything about investing. Um, and, <laughs> and I was like, God, why are you doing this to me? Like, <laughs> at the same time, like I had a friend and, and he was just like, look, these opportunities only come by once in a lifetime. And mm. at the end of the day, like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, I have prior experience. I've worked in investment bank and I can always fall back on that and get another job. And that's the kind of mindset that I have. So mm. even now, I'm, I always ask myself, what's the worst that can happen? Like, seriously, if you're in a job at the moment, you're thinking about starting a company, you want to move to a new role, you want to completely change careers, do it. Like, life is short at the end of the day. And what is the worst that could happen? Okay, it doesn't work out. You just go back to the industry that you were in before and there's still going to be jobs there. Yes, you might have to hustle your way back in, but, you know, there is always fallback. And I just feel as if more people should take risks. One thing that I really, really believe in in life is taking calculated risk. Um, and I feel as if it's the risk that I've taken by having multiple career paths that got me to where I am today. And in life, if you don't take risks, the rewards are, are limited at the end of the day. So you just have to get comfortable with taking risk and just knowing that our minds are the one is this, is this thing that often limits us, right? Because we, we set up scenarios. Oh, if I leave, it's not going to work out. If I leave, I'm not going to make any money. I'm not going to make enough money. But what if it does work out? Mm. What if it does actually work out? And so we need to like get comfortable with being uncomfortable and just go for the things that we want in life. So, so Yvonne, maybe just to, to double click on that a little bit more as well. So you explained the experience with your with your parents, for example, right? And this is something that maybe people from underrepresented backgrounds, they're, they're challenging the expectations from parents of an old world versus these opportunities that we see in the new world. So how was that experience of informing your parents that actually I wanted to take this jump in this particular space that maybe may not be as established as our parents' generations would would think. How has that conversation, how has that helped you throughout your career since? Oh, it wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had like ongoing headache for a while because actually like when I left banking, I went traveling for a bit as well. And so they just didn't understand. They were so like, they thought, right, okay. 
Therefore, like Yvonne's ready to retire already. Waiting. Like, going on, my child. Like, <laughs> but actually, I just feel as if you know they won't get it, and not everyone's going to get the decisions mm. you you make in life. And now, like, um, so my dad passed away three years ago, but now my mom's always like, "Oh, I'm so proud of you." But actually, if I stayed in that role, like at the end of the day, I'm still her child. She's still going to be proud of me regardless of okay not in every circumstance but you know like parents will disown you if they need exactly. to <laughs> <laughs> there's always a limit there's always a limit i've been threatened a few times to be disowned <laughs> <laughs> but i honestly do believe that you know sometimes you just have to do what's right for you and do what like sets your soul on fire and if that means that you have to let people down in the process then then do that at the end of the day like do what you're passionate about. Do what is going to make you happy. Um, you can't live life just thinking and trying to please other people, even if that is your parents. So sorry, parents, if you're listening to this and you're not happy with this advice. But at the end of the day, like, I'm so happy that I didn't let their disappointment in me at the time limit me because look at where it's got me today, right? And mm-hmm. so I think it's really important that people stop thinking about pleasing others and trying to live life for others and live life on your own terms. And I, I just, I said this in the last um, episode that we recorded that it's so important that we as young, the young generation take more leaps of faith because with the right intention and the commitment to work an opportunity, it always works out in the end. Mm. Right. So we, we should, we should have more belief and more faith to, to, to what you're saying. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, like, even if you look at the most successful people in the world, like think about Bezos, like how many times did he fail before he got to where he was? So we also have to get comfortable with failing because like I said, what's the worst that can happen? You can go out there, say you want to start a company. It doesn't work out. Okay. Go and get a job and try again. Like it's not the end of the world. One thing that I think has really helped me is whenever I face moments of adversity or challenges, I always think to myself, okay, this time will pass. And there will be better times ahead. So I never, ever fall into this hole of like letting situations limit me. And I think that that really helps in making me, even like where I need to have difficult conversations. So last week I had a really, really difficult conversation with someone. And before it, I was like, oh, I really don't want to have this conversation. But I was like, it passed and the conversation went really well. So I feel as if like we need to just go into things and just get comfortable with being uncomfortable because... Those billionaires, that's what they're doing daily. Question. Um, you mentioned you, you ended the sentence with billionaires. And the thing that comes to mind, actually, um, this saying is ringing in my head as, as for my next question. For you, yesterday's price is not today's price. And every investment that you make, your price is going up. And I have a question around, <laughs> as, you, as you are making more, every investment you make, I guess the sums are going up. Do you feel... Um, you know, the pressure as you start to sort of invest larger amounts in startup companies? Or are, you, is, are the fundamentals of how you assess a company still the same? How does that feel, right? Because I'm sure at some point very soon, you'll be looking at the billion dollar transaction in one go, right? So how, do, how, do, how does that, how do you navigate through that? So I have made some losses within the space. I'll be very open about that, but actually I've learned the most from my losses. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel as if the fundamentals do remain the same. I'm always interested in knowing like who is the team, regardless of whether the company's um, you know, fresh, no, no product service live in the market or not. Um, at the end of the day, like the people that are gonna execute and deliver on the vision is something that stays consistent throughout the journey. Um, 
And also, I guess, as a company becomes more established and is, is later stage, then there's a lot more historical data that I can rely upon as well. So I can look at how the company has done historically. I can look at, you know, their forecasts and look at their historicals and see whether that's a likely scenario. Um, I can speak to, you know, customers, do reference calls. So there's more data points, but at the end of the day, mm. this team is still crucially important in terms of executing the vision for the future. Just to, to build on that, Yvonne, as well, um, in terms of when you're, looking, when you're looking at businesses to invest in and entrepreneurs and the team, I think this is something that you've really mentioned, empathy to understand the situation, relationship building networks, and it really boils down to the team. And that even boils down to maybe one or two key individuals within that team. Um, based on what you see, how important is it for founders of a business to have a technical background, for example? I think people have this perception, especially in the tech side, that you need to have someone in the team that codes or a CEO that knows how to code. How, how much do you look at that technical? component when you look at potential businesses to invest in? I mean, 100% helps because at the end of the day, the majority of companies that I invest in are tech companies. And so the technology is the underlying piece and having someone that can manage that internally is really helpful because otherwise companies end up outsourcing to, you know, Eastern Europe or wherever it may be. And managing that process can be really costly. It can become really challenging. If you're not technical, then you often aren't able to manage that process either. Um, and so it just becomes really, really costly. Whereas if you have someone internally, they can manage that on your behalf. They can really drive that process and ensure everything's working out OK. Um, so I think it's really, really important. And, you know, if you're not necessarily a technical individual yourself, I wouldn't say you need to go out there and learn how to code. I think it's just about, um, you know, finding technical people to join your team and so as an entrepreneur you're constantly selling you're selling to investors you're selling your vision to investors you're selling to customers you're selling to potential team members to buy into your vision um, and so you have to be great at selling you've, you've got a question um when you sort of have your reflective moments and you take a step back and you kind of you know look at the world in your lens um i'm interested to understand what do you think we need more of in terms of the world do we need better teams, better products? Um, do we need more startups or do we need um, founders that, less founders, but people that more work for startups? What, what should maybe your thoughts on what we need to create um, more impact in this world today? I wish that we would, first of all, two things. So I wish that, you know, access to funding. So if you look at the fundraising ecosystem, right, um, there's so much capital, like trillions of dollars have gone into companies. And I I, I see a world where there's that's more equally distributed. Because um, like I said, if we want to truly build products and services that cater to the society, we need, you know, the funding to go to entrepreneurs from all backgrounds. And so that's that's one thing that I, I think we really need. Because that's where we have like so much bias in the world or you have these advertising campaigns which turn out to be racist and we're like, Who's on their board? Right. Why is this allowed to happen? Right. Um, yeah. And then, and then another thing, I would really love to see a world where you know, um, for example, more women get into the world of STEM, for example, and and more women are able to see more role models within the technology space and know that yes, I can build a billion dollar tech company. Um, mm -hmm. I think that we are going to see more of that and I cannot wait for that to happen. Just before we uh, start to wrap up, guys, any any other questions from the rest of the, the crew? It's not really a question, but yeah. um, a statement, right, is if you do predict a recession, um, I think what happens typically in recessions is a lot of people lose their jobs and potentially will move into startup companies, right? Either starting companies that solve different problems 
or actually working for startups because right now it's such a competitive space when it comes to recruitment where the top companies like Google, Facebook, Apple take most of the talent. But if there is a recession, potentially hiring will be easier for these startups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. Do you, I mean, do you agree Oli- or disagree with that, Yvonne? Because you're welcome to disagree with Oli. When I, you know, one of the key challenges that, you know, startup space is access to talent, like you just said, right? And access to funding. Um, the talent piece is really, really challenging. I mean, I was speaking to a chief engineer the other day and she was saying how everyone she hires, she has to try and pay them double so that they won't get poached by another company. So it's really, really fierce. But like, you know, so many companies are now doing layoffs. Klarna announced today that they're laying off 10% of their staff, right? Netflix have already announced that they're cutting staff. Like so many tech companies are, are doing, um, you know, layoffs and that creates opportunities the market's going to be less competitive for talent um and I, I believe that a lot of people as well that you know do work within these companies will go on to start companies like Oli said so this should be really exciting times you know like I said 20 2008 sorry um so many incredible companies were birthed during that period and I believe that we'll see the same again during this um difficult economic environment Oh, we've got this um we've got this podcast that you could potentially invest on um, <laughs> in case we're looking <laughs> we've got a business opportunity <laughs> no, I, I give all claps because i didn't even think i wasn't even thinking in that space but go ahead Olu. continue you haven't finished pitching continue i'm just saying yeah so we've got this huh? send, send the deck send the deck I, okay, guys, yeah, I feel I'll like send you over the deck. Olu, I feel like we're looking at this the wrong way. The whole time that I was thinking and listening to Yvonne's story and expertise, I was thinking that, Yvonne, in the future, if you're on a cap table and there's even a little bit of space for four guys <laughs> to come sweep in with a little angel investment or any type of investement, Take Flight Podcast LLC would be happy to swoop in and just tell oh, us. <laughs> yeah, there's just uh, just Take Flight, uh, the podcast LLC, we'll be happy to slip into that cap table if you give us you the, are, the honor. But you let us know. I don't think you heard what P said. Yesterday's price is not today's price. So uh, <laughs> we might you not be been, able to. You been holding your I, have faith. Ago. Today I have today. faith. I have faith. I have faith. I have faith. But then if we're, if, if there's any other final cues otherwise Yvonne I think uh, that's that's a very inspiring message to to leave us with before we go into the the final five um, round and yeah looking forward to take flight podcast co-investing with any of your future uh billion dollar investments in the in the future and anything on your end that you wanted to to share before we go into the final five no 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 that's that's it for now all good ready so uh Yvonne these are our quick five fire round questions that we ask all our guests and let's go so first question worst piece of advice you've received that i should stay in a role because it's safe and like the pay is good um and i can climb up the ladder <laughs> whoever whoever said that piece of advice i have to thank you if you're listening to this episode because uh, thank you for giving uh, yvonne the fuel to to jump further um, question number two yvonne best piece of advice you've received to take calculated risks especially in my 20s i remember one of my mentors said that to me and she was like you know you don't have any commitments like what have you got to lose and it, that's carried on through even into my 30s where I'm not afraid to take risk and like Pablo said earlier it, it does actually pay off if you're consistent and you keep delivering um, it always pays off and even if it doesn't it's not the end of the world love it there's always uh, as Pabila also said yesterday's price is not today's price so we'll keep going up and to the right uh, question, question number three Yvonne so a piece of content that you're 
loving at the moment? This can be any form of media. Um, so I'm really big on like audiobooks and podcasts. I would say that for anyone interested in the VC space, 20 Minute VC is a really great podcast by Harry Stebbings. Um, so give that a listen. Great. And then of course, Take Flight Podcast is number two on that list. Yes. Of one I was just about to say that. He's got the pushing hard today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? Guys, have you guys not? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Always sell. He I'm with you, but we just sell. didn't oh. we just didn't have that brief, you know, before the episode started. I'm with you, but okay. so me and Daniel um, have to play catch up. So penultimate question, Yvonne. Uh, something that you're curious to learn more about at the moment. Uh the world of Web3. Um, even though you know crypto has been a bit of a roller coaster, I do feel as if um I have to learn about the space. Um, I think it's super interesting. There's so much to learn. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm very keen to learn more about the space. Great. And then the last uh, but not least question, what does take flight mean to you? Take flight is just, you know, bet on yourself, take the risk and don't be scared. Like what's the worst that could happen? Love it. Love it. Yvonne, thank you so much for your time. I think uh, you can tell from all our expressions on our faces, we've learned a lot. And I think we've also uh, been able to really enjoy this uh, conversation. But I think I'll pass it over to, to Daniel. Thanks, Joe. And before I kind of close, Yvonne, where can people find out more about you? Um, any links to your any websites, personal pages where they can find out more about what you do or connect with you if you want to yeah. share that? Yvonne so, Bajella, B-A-J-E-L-A, um, on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and my website as well. Thank you for sharing. We'll be sure to tag those in um, our description notes of the episode and on our social media posts. But everyone, once again, on behalf of the four of us, thank you again for not only coming to share some great valuable insights for us all, but also being the first female guest on our podcast. First so of many, again. Historic. Right. Historic. Historic. Yeah. First of many, yes. yes. First yes. of many. Yes. Any, by the way, any female listeners out first there, if many. you want to come on, you just you know where to find us. We'd love to have you on. But you've got a lot to follow. And you know the level you need to aspire to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Once again, on behalf of everyone, thank you for all of our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We certainly have. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Take Flight Podcast. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube, searching Take Flight Podcast. Until next week, stay safe and God bless. Take off, take flight with you. Before we never fly, but we're flying.